Hello, Curbsiders listeners. We are excited to announce that our good friends, Hannah Abrams, Tony Brew, and Avi Cooper are launching their very own podcast called The Curious Clinicians. This is inspired by their famous tutorials that seek to answer why. Why do certain diseases cause clubbing? Why can trimethoprim sulfamethoxazole raise creatinine without causing an AKI? Why is cancer a hypercoagulable state? They'll be releasing episodes about twice per month, so be sure to join their mailing list at CuriousClinicians.com and subscribe on your podcast player of choice. So now, without further ado, please enjoy this first episode of The Curious Clinicians. Welcome to The Curious Clinicians, a medical podcast that asks why. I'm Hannah Abrams. I'm a medical student in Houston, Texas. And I'm Tony Brew, an internist hospitalist in the greater Boston area. And I'm Avi Cooper, a pulmonary critical care physician in Columbus, Ohio. Today on the podcast, our question examines a physical exam finding that's often commented on, but maybe not always well understood, fingernail clubbing. Avi wrote a tutorial that asked the question, why does clubbing happen in so many different diseases? And today we're going to break it down. So, Avi, what got you interested in learning more about clubbing? So it occurred to me that all of my note templates, all of the notes that I read from students or residents, they all comment on clubbing, either its presence or its absence. And, you know, it can be a a manifestation of so many different diseases and unrelated systemic disorders, anything from congenital heart disease to lung cancer. And I realized that I only had kind of this vague, foggy, hand-wavy idea of what causes it, so I wanted to learn more. So you would say you, you couldn't quite put your finger on it? You, you could say that. <laughs> so, so I am saying that. <laughs> exactly. She did just say it. Um, so Avi, before you take us uh, through the mechanisms and the explanations that you found, um, it might be helpful for the listeners to be reminded a little bit about how we make that diagnosis. So when we're seeing a patient, what should make us um, suspicious that they might have clubbing? Uh, or is it simply something that you kind of know it when you see it? So I've seen enough clubbing at this point that for me, I'm usually just kind of, I, like you said, it's, you know it when you see it. But there is a, um, the, the nature of clubbing or the, the, uh, what, what causes a nail to be clubbed is when the normally concave angle of the nail bed becomes convex. So instead of kind of dipping down, it rounds up. And the shamrot sign is actually actually the kind of the technical definition that defines clubbing. And that basically um, is when you, if you've ever seen kind of having the patient kind of awkwardly put their fingers together and they, you know, you look between the nail bed and see if there's a diamond shaped space. If it's, if it's there, um, they don't have clubbing. And if the space is gone, they do have clubbing. And that's, that's called the shamrot sign. Um, and interestingly, um, Shamroth was himself a physician, diagnosed his own endocarditis, described clubbing in himself, published it in a paper, and that's how it became, um, you know, the sign that we that we have have today. So, is the thought that the endocarditis was the actual cause of Shamroth's Shamroth's clubbing? I think so. I think so. But I think the main point is that 
he kind of noted these changes and found a way to kind of self-diagnose it and kind of, you know, tangentially, that's probably, I don't know if you guys find it really awkward to kind of have patients get positioned to do the clubbing and then try to look through in between their fingers and bend over. Um, it seems like it's actually more of a self-diagnostic sign. Like that's how he originally did it on himself. And so maybe that explains why it's so awkward to do. Yeah, no, Avi, it's only awkward when you're your height. When you're my height, it's totally it's, it's eye level. Yeah, not a problem. <laughs> you know, the one benefit. <laughs> okay, so what goes through your mind when you see a patient with clubbing? So I think, you know, to find clubbing, you have to look for it. So that's why in clinic, I'm always looking at people's hands. And certainly as a pulmonologist, sometimes patients are giving me kind of weird looks like, why are you looking at my hands like this? And I'm looking largely to, 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 to see if they have clubbing. And so clubbing is really, um, it's not specific or pathognomonic for anything, but it can, especially if it's never been there before and it pops up for the first time, that should really indicate that or make you think that there could be something systemically going on. And so it tells me that, you know, there's some digging to do to find out why this clubbing has emerged. And so I'll often be asking patients, you know, they may not even, you know, the nail, the nail changes may be very subtle over time and they may not even really notice, but then you'll ask them like, well, when's the last time your nails weren't rounded? And they'll be like, oh, you know, just maybe a year or two ago. So um, I think getting that history can be, be really helpful. But the main thing is something could be up. Yeah. So earlier you mentioned you had like this foggy idea. What was it? So I'm waving my hands behind the microphone here. You can't see, but um, it was, it was very hand wavy explanation about platelets and megakaryocytes and something about lung disease and loss of platelet filtering from the lung and then getting trapped in the fingers, plugging up the capillaries causes clubbing. The reality is I had no idea. Um, And so, you know, it occurred to me that there are so many different diseases that cause clubbing Many of them have nothing to do with the lungs, so that, you know, the explanation that I had in my head seemed to maybe not be enough, um, that there was something else going on. Um, so that's when I kind of started to read more about it. Yeah, and, and it makes sense that there's got to be something else, because if it were just um, platelets and megakaryocytes not being filtered and being deposited, you might expect to see this in, in diseases associated with, you know, massively elevated platelet counts, like essential thrombocytosis. Um, and, and actually before we've recorded tonight, I just did a Google search and, uh, a, a, uh, a PubMed search and I, I, in the very cursory search that I did, I couldn't <laughs> find any association between essential thrombocytosis and clubbing. So it does seem like there's something else going on beyond just the platelets and megakaryocytes. Um, so w- what did you find, Avi? What, what is it if it's not just those things? So I was really surprised to see that it seems to be VEGF or vascular endothelial growth factor. And quick review, it's a form of platelet-derived growth factor um, that, you know, contributes to angiogenesis and, um, you know, and, and kind of blood vessel formation. And every disease that I looked at, all of them have high VEGF levels. So if you look at TB, COPD, lung cancer, inflammatory bowel disease, cirrhosis, congenital heart disease, cystic fibrosis, bronchiectasis, all of these diseases that can manifest with clubbing, they all can have high VEGF levels um, kind of associated. And it was also, again, really surprising for me that when you look at the histology of club fingers, you see abnormal vasculature, these dilated kind of juicy blood vessels um, that really does kind of lend itself to a vascular link and connect with VEGF. And honestly, it was surprising to see this kind of really simple unifying explanation for this uh, you know, physical finding. Yeah, wow. So does Occam really win one for once? <laughs> yeah. Hickam, Hickam is like shaking his clubbed fingers somewhere. 
<laughs> okay, Hickam gets to win like 50 to every one that Occam wins. Let's be real. Well, not if, not okay, if you're so, in Morning Report. If you're in Morning Report, it's always Occam. The real yeah. world, it's Hickam. <laughs> so, Avi, can you walk us through kind of what evidence did you find for this beautiful, simple explanation? So I focused on three diseases, lung cancer, TB, and inflammatory bowel disease. You know, really, I could have done a deep dive into any of the other diseases as well, but I focused on these three. Um, so it turns out with like lung cancer, um, if uh, you look at patients who, who have clubbing and who don't have clubbing, the ones with clubbing generally have higher VEGF levels. Um, same, the same is true with TB patients, looking at patients with um, active TB versus treated TB versus latent TB. The ones that generally get clubbing are the ones who have active TB, and those are the ones who have high VEGF levels. And I was really surprised to learn this link with inflammatory bowel disease, especially Crohn's that can manifest with clubbing, because I had never seen that, but that seems like it actually is a real association. Mm-hmm. Um, that uh, studies examining involved and uninvolved mucosa of uh, the intestines found high VEGF levels in the involved mucosa and uh, not in the normal mucosa. So it seemed like VEGF just, it keeps coming up and linking with all these different diseases. That's interesting and provocative, but I guess the question that follows though is, all right, so we have correlative evidence, um, but is there anything that, um, that you found either when researching the tutorial or in the comments that is a little bit more of a direct link. And I mean, I know a partial answer to this question because I believe Hannah offered some uh, maybe more direct evidence of the VEGF link, but but what did you find? So the most direct evidence that I found before Hannah kind of found that awesome study that she'll talk about um, was this link with the cholinergic axis. So um, it turns out that cholinergic signaling triggers VEGF release from cells. um, And Uh, There was a really interesting study that looked at um, the use of a vagotomy procedure, which is like not something that surgeons uh, typically do, but um, it was a patient who had uh, a unilateral inoperable um, lung cancer and had kind of intractable painful clubbing, and they tried the vagotomy as like kind of a rescue procedure for palliation, and they did it on the same side as the lung cancer, so kind of transected the vagus nerve, and the patient's clubbing um, resolved, and so they shut down that kind of cholinergic signaling to that side and her, um, to the side of the lung cancer and her symptoms went away. And so that really, again, kind of, I think, links with that, uh, that kind of cholinergic and VEGF link, which I found you know, really, really interesting. And I know Hannah found fascinating study um, with like, looking at VEGF inhibitors. Hannah, I don't know if you want to talk about that. Yeah. So my first thought when I read the tweetorial, other than like, wow, this is very cool, uh, was so does giving anti-VEGF then improve clubbing. Uh, and so I found a, a case series in the Journal of Clinical Rheumatology that followed a patient who had very severe symptomatic clubbing as actually their main symptom of non-resectable lung cancer. And so the patient was given bevacizumab, which is an anti-VEGF antibody, and they tracked the pain intensity uh, and the plasma VEGF levels over time, um, along with kind of monitoring the clinical syndrome. And it actually improved to the point where the patient was able to be completely taken off of morphine in this case study as these VEGF levels kind of decreased in concert 
with the pain intensity decreasing in the start of bevacizumab. So it was pretty cool. And though it's definitely still not causative, it, it does point to maybe more evidence for VEGF being the source of clubbing. I just want to say that you, the, your pronunciation of bevacizumab was uh, <laughs> very impressive. <laughs> I practiced. <laughs> yeah, even even practiced. with practice, that's still impressive. So, I mean, I don't, Tony, had you known about this before you had read the tutorial? I definitely had not. Uh, I definitely hadn't. I, I, so, hadn't heard about the uh, VEGF connection. I hadn't even heard an explanation related to platelets and megakaryocytes. I had a much more rudimentary... Um, understanding isn't the right word. It was. It's just more assumed explanation. I, I had never sort of researched the topic. And I, I assume that because so many of the conditions that are associated with clubbing are also associated with hypoxemia, that it had to do something with hypoxemia. And whether or not that was dilation of blood vessels and increased blood flow to the digits or something else, um, I, I didn't know. Uh, but the idea that it could be related to platelets, megakaryocytes, VEGF, um, vagal stimulation, that was total news to me. And is, I think, a much more elegant explanation because, as as Avi has talked about, it sort of spans all sorts of different diseases. Yeah, and I think, you know, um, that kind of hypoxia link that, that you mentioned is certainly one reason that VEGF levels could be high would be chronic hypoxia. I did find this really interesting study from like 50 or 60 years ago um, looking at a, or a case report looking at a patient who had congenital heart disease and abnormal blood flow because of that. And they had um, isolated hypoxia in their feet and they actually only, and they had chronic clubbing, but only in their toes, only in the areas that were chronically hypoxic. So there definitely is that, that link there. And, and that maybe could explain why we see this phenomenon in the, the more distal parts of the body, the toes and the, and the fingertips, if it's related to hypoxemia and, and from that hypoxemia increased VEGF. But that's, again, just would be a hypothesis. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting thought. Um, I didn't see a great explanation for why this is really a, a distal finding. Um, sometimes it can be associated with kind of painful long bone swelling and inflammation called hypertrophic osteoarthropathy, which can go along with clubbing as part of a syndrome. Um, but I didn't find a great explanation for why it's distal, but that's a really good idea. And hypertrophic osteoarthropathy is strongly associated with high VEGF levels. Is that right? Yeah, they kind of, again, it's all kind of part of the same spectrum. Right, okay. Okay, so bringing it back for a minute to this kind of original idea of the platelet plugs, is there any truth to that? Is there any to that kind of classic teaching? So this was, again, kind of heartening for me that I wasn't walking around with a totally incorrect explanation, that it turns out that platelets do play a role here. So if you look in those ectatic abnormal blood vessels in clubbed fingers, you'll find platelet microthrombi that are plugging the blood vessels. And so it turns out that platelets are probably doing something and um, did some more digging. It turns out that platelets and megakaryocytes themselves secrete VEGF, which uh, I thought was, you know, kind of mind blowing that really does all tie together really elegantly. These different diseases, platelets um, and the high VEGF levels. Um, so yeah, platelets and megakaryocytes do play a role here, I think. So I find all of what we've been talking about absolutely fascinating, but um, I suspect there are other things that either didn't make its way into the tutorial that we haven't talked about yet. What other stuff did you find? 
So I think other than VEGF, which was probably the most mind-blowing thing for me, was the link with Hippocrates. So it turns out that clubbing is probably the oldest physical exam finding that we still kind of comment on and use. Um, you know, he was practicing in ancient Greece like 2,500 years ago, and he described clubbing, um, noting it in patients who had empyema, and he noticed that their fingernails were kind of rounded and painful. Whether or not what he meant by empyema, whether that was tuberculosis or something else, again, I don't think we really know. But I like kind of imagining him like, you know, doing his house calls, rounding on his patients, being kind of befuddled by these you know, fingernail findings that he was seeing in Greece and like, you know, noting it down in his notebook and discussing it with his, um, you know, his like, uh, his interns <laughs> who were, you know, who he was training and like trying to sort it out. And so I think there's something really poignant about that, that like, you know, 2,500 years ago, he noticed it and first year medical students are being taught to find that sign today. And it's actually still really clinically relevant. Maybe he was doing Shamroth sign um, millennia before Shamroth himself. Are you proposing that we na- rename it to Hippocrates sign? Or no, no, stick with Shamroth. <laughs> the guy, the guy had endocarditis. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I love that. Even when he was thinking about the lungs, Hippocrates' first thought was first do no arm. <laughs> uh. <laughs> I'm sorry. Anyway, uh, so. Yeah, I mean, it's beautiful. It sounds like we really have, for once, this really nice, neat explanation that clubbing happens because of abnormal vasculature in the fingers and toes that's directly associated with this elevated VEGF level that we see in all of these different clinical syndromes that cause, that are associated with clubbing. Um, And so there's kind of multiple mechanisms for the VEGF to be going up. And one of them is that classic platelet teaching. Another one is the hypoxia. And then other ones we might not know as much about, but that are seen in some of these diseases like IBD. So Avi, was there anything else that you kind of learned from maybe the replies to the tutorial or along the way after you published it? So I thought it was... (laughs) kind of funny that people were this was surprising that actually not a small number of people sent me pictures of their fingernails um asking (laughs) if um they should be worried if they had clubbing and if they do should they be worried um wasn't sure how to quite how to respond to that but um i you know i i you know i didn't talk about in the tutorial that there are congenital forms of clubbing that people are born with and they're benign they don't imply any kind of you know systemic disease and not really anything to worry about. Um, There are also like interesting teleological arguments that you can make about why VEGF is elevated in all these different diseases. And I didn't really go there. But the other thing that I was surprised about was that MedTwitter kept it really professional on this. And only one comment on kind of going to the club and dancing and partying out of um, all the comments. So I was kind of impressed with MedTwitter that they kept it so professional. Yeah, we, and that's particularly remarkable given the – I mean the, the idea that uh, over a million people saw this and, and all you could muster from the med, uh, med Twitter community was one clubbing joke. I mean that's – it's kind of sad. <laughs> like I said, Med Twitter kept it professional on this one. So <laughs> Do better, Med Twitter? Yeah. Is that, a, yeah. is that yeah. a message here? Yeah. Let's uh, – okay. Let, let me retract. Good job, Med Twitter. <laughs> So, so Avi, do you have any take-home for, points for us? So, so you know, VEGF obviously is probably the main one, that that's the cause of clubbing, it seems like. I think the, the other kind of main kind of clinical or practical one to take home would be that um, 
Clubbing doesn't really imply a specific diagnosis, but if it's new and never been there before, it suggests that you need to look for one. And so, um, you know, like the classic example people say is like COPD doesn't cause um, clubbing, but it can cause clubbing. You just can't assume that it's causing the clubbing because they could have lung cancer or something else that you need to go and try to find and diagnose. And so that's, um, I think, something important to remember. Yeah, and I think that that is one of the things I'm going to take away from this is um, there are some physical exam findings that we should take as clues to look for a systemic disease. And I think I had a, a vague understanding that clubbing was one of those, but this, I think, has really made it clear to me um, that I, I ought to be uh, exploring you know, how, how aggressively I do that. Mm-hmm. It will depend on the patient, of course, but I, I, should, I should look. I, I shouldn't just say, oh, well, that's interesting. Document to my, in my note and move on. And I think that, you know, the dermatologists are going to be clapping out there, but um, it's important to look at the hands. It's really that, you know, you can learn a lot from looking at people's hands about lifestyle, about, you know, the presence of systemic disease. Um, It can really, you can learn a lot from looking at people's hands. And so that's, you know, again, that's why I do it on every patient. Fantastic. So uh, I want to say thank you to Avi. This is, uh, the tutorial was amazing. Um, I learned a lot in reviewing it. Um, I learned a lot tonight talking with you and Hannah about the topic again. Um, And I want to thank all the listeners for uh, listening to today's episode. Uh, If you, the listeners, have any interesting tutorials or online meta teaching points that you think we should feature on the show, uh, please reach out to us. Uh, The best way to reach us is on Twitter. Uh, I'm at Tony underscore Brew. I'm at Hannah R. Abrams. And I'm at Abraham Cooper. Until next time, we've been the Curious Clinicians. As a reminder, the information contained in this episode is for educational and entertainment purposes only and does not constitute medical advice. Thanks for joining us. Thank <laughs> you.